The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Halfway through the week, on the way to week three of the 2020 NFL season, it's PFTPM, Shereen Williams, Mike Florio. Good afternoon, Shereen. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing today on a Wednesday? Good. I think I surprised you on how quick I threw it to you. Usually I babble for at least 30 seconds. <laughs> you did. See? I didn't have anything to say today. I don't have anything to say. I, I, I mean, we have plenty to talk about, but at the top, I really don't have anything to say. It's Wednesday. We're in that weird day where there's news, sort of. There's press conferences. There's injury stuff. And uh, as always with the NFL, there's plenty of things going on. So let's get right to it. By the way, coming up later in the program, Football Pod in America, Liam McHugh, Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, and me talking about some issues as week three approaches. We're going to answer your questions later in the program. That's the rundown over the course of the next hour. And it will fly by as it always does, even though we have minimal commercial breaks. So for us, we work almost a full hour. Let's get to it. Jimmy Garoppolo not working this weekend, didn't practice today. And Kyle Shanahan addressing whether or not Garoppolo will be starting. Here's Shanahan from earlier today. Uh, yeah, I'll be surprised if Jimmy gets back later in the week. I know he's still pulling to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Nick's ready to go. And um, if something happens to Nick, CJ will be ready to go. Nick's got a lot of playing time with us um, in 2018. Uh, prepared him for moments like this. He always does a good job in practice. And um, excited to see him get his opportunity. Nick Mullins was 3-5 and five as a starter in 2018. That was the year that Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL week three in Kansas City. Passer rating of 90.8 for Nick Mullins that year. And again, 3-5 and five as a starter, 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. And he looked good at times. And didn't they have, with Nick Mullins at quarterback, that epic Thursday night game against the Rams? Wasn't that a couple of years ago? Or am I getting my years it mixed was. up here? No, I think yeah, it was two I, so, years ago. Yeah, so Nick Mullins can get it done, and it's driven by the offense, and he knows the offense. He's been in the offense multiple years. He steps right in, does what Kyle tells him to do, and if he does that, it should work. There are worse backups in the NFL, Mike, than Nick Mullins. You know, you replaced C.J. Beathard two years ago. Now, he didn't throw a pass last year, but I think just sitting back last year, learning, not having to come in and play, knowing that Jimmy G's the starter – he, he could learn the offense better. He could learn what defenses do better. I think he's better prepared even than he was two years ago, and he was decent two years ago. As you said, despite what the record says, the passer rating and everything else says he had a, a pretty decent uh, year. So I think they, they are better off than probably many teams in the NFL who would lose a starter and have to put in their backup quarterback. I, I, I like him as a backup quarterback having to step in short term. Good news for the 49ers. George Kittle was a limited participant in practice today with that knee injury, so the signs are pointing toward his potential return this weekend against the Giants. Tevin Coleman, though, out for a month with a knee injury, and when Raheem Mostert, who didn't practice today also with a knee injury, that points to Jarek McKinnon, the guy they paid a lot of money to in free agency a couple of years ago, Shereen, and he missed all of 2018, all of 2019. He's been okay this year. Looks like he'll be the starter this weekend and McKinnon an opportunity to finally earn some of that money that the 49ers have paid him when he hasn't had a chance to to really give them a return on the investment yet. Boy, the way it's gone for the 49ers, don't you just cringe every day waiting to see who it is that's going to be out for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is. I mean, they've just, it's gone round and round uh, with Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas. I mean, you just go down the list. We know all the names and, and it's a ton of guys who've either gone on injured reserve or are out for a while, but it does give Jarek McKinnon a chance and it shows you the 49ers depth. Again, same thing at quarterback. There are worse guys that are your number three running back than Jarek McKinnon. And you also have Jeff Wilson, who's a pretty decent running back himself. So they're deep at a lot of positions. And this is one position they're deep. I don't think they're going to miss them 
tons. Now, Raheem Mozart had the two long touchdowns in the first two games. I, I get that. He's, he's a better running back, and he's a starter for a reason. But I just think they are better off, again, than a lot of teams would be if they lost their top two running backs. And again, that offense is based on timing and rhythm and right place at the right time. And the guys who know how to execute it will be able to step in and get it done. And the offense, I think, will be okay. It's the defense I worry about. No Nick Bosa. D Ford didn't practice today with a back problem. They need some pass rush or they're not going to hold up on the back end, even against an overmatched team like the New York Giants. The 49ers are four-point favorites coming up on Sunday. The Chargers hosting the Panthers this Sunday. And... Justin Herbert looked good as a starter in week two. And with Tyrod Taylor potentially still out of action this week, we could see Herbert again. Here's head coach Anthony Lynn from earlier today explaining his quarterback situation. Justin Herbert was started quarterback. I'm looking forward to seeing him play with a week of preparation, knowing that he's going to be the starter. Uh, what were some positives that you took from the game uh, that he had against Kansas City? I tell you, just uh, his, his his pores. He didn't, he didn't panic, you know. Uh, he made some really nice throws in that game. He moved around, showed that he can extend plays, you know. Uh, he did some good things in that game, but uh, he was not fully prepared because he didn't take all the reps uh, in practice. And you know, I, I've learned over the years as a, as a as a young coach, you know. I remember Coach Shanahan telling me one time. You know, don't don't tell me how many times you told them. Tell me how many times you put them through it. And so that was some situation we just did not put him through last week. And uh, I thought he handled those situations well. Hey, Coach, he handled them better than well. I thought Justin Herbert was phenomenal. We have gotten that well documented here on PFTPM, PFT Live. I wrote something about it today after watching that game. The guy can throw. The guy can run. The guy has moves. The guy has hustle. The guy has power. And... The guy's special. So, yes, play him. Embrace him. He's drafted for the future. The future is now, especially as the Chargers still try to carve out some sort of a fan base. And they're still in competition with the Rams for the hearts, minds, and wallets of Los Angeles. Justin Herbert, to me, is far more exciting, all due respect, than Jared Goff, Shireen. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, we talked about how great he looked in his first game. And probably the best way to make a debut, to know you're not going to make your debut, to have to step in, he found out right at the coin toss that he was going to have to start that game. And, yeah, Anthony Lynn's right. He didn't get all the reps and that stuff last week, but he also didn't have the nerves. He slept good the night before, thought he was going to sit back and watch Tyrod Taylor and that offense operate, and, and then had to step in and play. And so I think that did him good. Now he has a week of reps. But also the defense now has film of him. They know he's going to start. They prepare for him. It's a different offense. And, and so they'll be prepared for him. But just an outstanding game by Justin Herbert. I saw one rookie mistake when you and I went back and rewound the game and watched it again. I saw the one rookie mistake he made. He rolled to his left, and they were almost in field goal range. He could have run for the first down. He throws that pass back across the field to his right. And, of course, it's intercepted into double coverage when he could have had the first down, would have been in field goal range. They kicked the field goal there. It might have been over. You don't ever want to say that with Patrick Mahomes on the other side. But it certainly would have made a Kansas City comeback much, much tougher. But other than that, it was a pretty flawless game by, by Justin Herbert, by any quarterback, but especially one making his debut. And let me just add this, because I'm not sure the Carolina Panthers defense is going to know what to expect. They've got one film to go on, and that was something where Justin Herbert stepped into a game plan that was created for someone else. There may be a very different approach this week, and typically it takes four to six weeks of film before you can understand where the tendencies are, where the habits are, where the little hitches are, where the clues are as to what may be happening and to understand what a guy does well and what he doesn't do well. But you're right, one thing he doesn't do well, and most quarterbacks don't do well, is run in one direction and throw across their body in the other directions. Not many guys, not named Patrick Mahomes, can make that throw consistently. So Justin Herbert, high ceiling, but great basement so far stepping in on no notice whatsoever and getting it done for the Chargers and the reason why Justin Herbert is going to be starting this week we're finding out more and more about what really happened to Tyrod Taylor it started as ribs fully participating in practice on Friday then it's chest injury all of a sudden he's scratched then it's chest pains 
that sent him to the hospital. Now, it's a painkilling injection that punctured a lung. That's not good. That's I'm I'm not a doctor, but a needle sticking into your body and puncturing your lung, especially when you're a professional athlete, not a good development. And that's one of the reasons why Tyrod Taylor is not available to play this weekend. And I think that's one of the reasons why Anthony Lynn has yet to say Tyrod's now the backup. You hate to do it to the guy. He gets yanked from the lineup through no fault of his own, at least when two years earlier to the day for the Browns, he suffered an injury during the game when he yielded to Baker Mayfield. This time around, it wasn't even anything he did. Somebody screwed up and put a needle into his lung. So it's a strange situation. The NFL Players Association is investigating. I don't know what remedies Tyrod Taylor would have. I think you've got two paths here, Shereen, the team and the doctor, because usually the doctor isn't a team employee. But this is something the NFLPA does need to look into because whatever happened shouldn't have happened, and they need to be sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, no question about it. And, and you know, we saw a similar thing. He didn't have the punctured lung, but in, in the postseason there uh, with, with the Steelers and Jerome Bettis uh, took a painkilling injection and, and couldn't play. So, yeah, this, this is tragic. I feel horrible for Tyrod Taylor. I mean, he, he leads the Bills to the playoffs. He gets replaced by Josh Allen. He goes and it becomes the Brown starter. He gets a concussion. He's replaced by Baker Mayfield. And now, by all looks of it, he's being replaced by Justin Herbert. Because if Herbert continues to play well, frankly, you can't put Tyrod Taylor back in the lineup. If he looks as good as he did in the last game, you have to keep playing Justin Herbert. And that's just the way it is. It was like Tony Romo getting hurt in the preseason. Dak Prescott stepped up. They got on a winning streak. They couldn't put... Tony Romo back in the lineup. They had to leave Dak Prescott in the lineup. So I just feel terrible for Tyrod Taylor. No fault of his own. It's horrible. Anthony Lim was asked about the puncture done and said it was just unfortunate and didn't say a lot, but he did defend the doctor, said he's a great guy. It was an unfortunate incident, and and we'll move on here. But poor Tyrod Taylor. On advice of counsel, we are not commenting on that situation. Look, I don't want to make light of it, but the bottom line is when doctors screw up, it causes injury and sometimes worth and worse. And, and everybody makes mistakes at times. We choose professions and some of the professions we choose have high stakes. And if you make a mistake, you potentially can cause someone a serious injury. And the bottom line is the union is there to protect the players. The legal system is there to protect individuals who are the victims of potential medical malpractice. And uh, this is one of those things where it doesn't just happen. Right. There are certain things that just happen. Some things like a needle puncturing a lung, uh, you know, uh, unless Tyrod Taylor's body was built in a strange way where the lungs are like on the outside of the rib cage. This is the kind of thing that doesn't naturally happen without somebody screwing up. So they'll get to the bottom of it and we'll see what happens. All right. The Eagles racked by injuries this year, as they always seem to be. First round receiver Jalen Rager is out for multiple weeks with a thumb injury. They are still waiting for Alshon Jeffrey, right? They're down to Deshaun Jackson, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Greg Ward, and John Hightower. I mean, they're getting closer and closer to the the, uh, witness protection list of receivers and running backs that they had last year, and it actually worked last year. Maybe that's when they'll be good, when they get down to all the skill position guys we haven't heard of and the defenses haven't heard of them, and then they go win some games. Yeah, Jalen Rager got hurt in, in the training camp, and we thought he was going to miss the first game, maybe the first couple of games. He came out and played and then played through that thumb injury, actually, in week two. But now uh, is going to be out, and from a source I talked to, probably is going to be out four weeks. That's what they're targeting. So probably ends up on injured reserve and, and then stays out another week. So unfortunate for the first-round rookie. He, he looked like uh, he was off to a pretty good start in his career, had over 50 yards last week, had a big play. Uh, just unfortunate for him that he's not going to be there, and unfortunate for the Eagles, too. I think he's going to turn into their perhaps their number one receiver. Uh, and now they need those other guys to step up. But you're right, they did the best when they had no-name guys out there and, and Carson Wentz was able to find them. But this is a team that's in, in trouble right now, and uh, the only thing working for them is they're in the NFC East. You know, the thing is that there are people who are starting to grumble for Jalen Hurts at quarterback, which is ridiculous, but it just shows you what's (laughs) happened to this Eagles team so far this year. And I'm looking at the lines for this weekend. We're doing the Chris Sims Unbuttoned PFTPM Megapix podcast coming up on Thursday. And I see the Eagles five and a half point favorites against the Bengals. 
And I kind of like the Bengals. I still have time to make my decision. Yeah. But I think of how the Bengals played last week, and I look at what Joe Burrow's doing, and I, I just I feel like the Eagles are caught in that maze that they can't get out of, and you give the Bengals a little extra time and maybe it'll work out for them, and those injuries don't make it any easier for the Eagles to figure out how to get their first win of the season. All right, one more to talk about, and this one broke right after we finished PFT Live this morning. Gail Sayers, Hall of Fame running back, gone at the age of 77. Gail Sayers, to me, Shireen, and we probably both discovered football the same year but Gail Sayers was always like that mythical being because he was out of football by the time I discovered it but he had played recently enough that you see Gail Sayers highlights and you hear about the legend of Gail Sayers and then comes Brian's song where it's the Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo friendship that that the movie was so popular and back in those days when there was only three channels on TV the movie of the week on ABC was like the big event of the week that 90 minute movie that they would and it was so I was saying earlier yeah. today the movie of the week got so big they started having two movies of the week which <laughs> doesn't make any sense but they would do Tuesday night and Wednesday night movie of the week and 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 it was that this Gale Sayers like in my mind as a kid and it's been cemented in there for 50 years larger than life the story of the six touchdowns in his rookie season, that or in his in one game in his rookie season, twenty two touchdowns as a rookie, and uh, uh, it's so for me, it's uh, he was always like this special figure attached to the NFL. So you know, the older players, this is going to happen. It seems like every few weeks there's an older player that passes, and it's always something that saddens us when it's a name we recognize. But for Gale Sayers to be gone, to me, that that just like that that like snuffs out a little piece of my childhood. Yeah, and you know, Mike, I, I'm i with you because we were born the same year. I didn't get to see Gail Sayers play. I never got to interview him, and, and I I regret that because I've got to interview Otto Graham, and I got to interview, I've gotten to interview Joe Namath, and of course he's still alive. But, you know, those great players of the 60s and 70s, a lot of those guys, Deacon Jones was another one. But you just remember all the great runs he had. And he was way far ahead of his time. Now, we see a lot of running backs like him now, and we have since him. But at the time, he was so far ahead of any other running back, just the, the style and the way he looked. And it was just it was so fun to see those highlights of him. And it's unfortunate his career only lasted seven seasons because of those knee injuries. It was one knee, it was right knee, and then his left knee. And uh, obviously the procedures weren't as far along as they are now. So it's unfortunate that he didn't play longer than they did. But when, when he went into the Hall of Fame, he was only 34, the youngest player to go into the Hall of Fame when he went in. Just an incredible career. And to go into the Hall of Fame after seven seasons tells you, tells you how good he was. He was special. Yes, 68 total regular season games playing for a Bears team that wasn't very good. A lot of great players, 60s and 70s, played for Bears teams that weren't very good. Of course, he was eventually followed by Walter Payton. But, you know, I've been waiting for that next Gale Sayers. And in my lifetime, Shereen, there have been two guys who, well, no, not not two who've come close. There's been one that came close to creating that excitement, and that was Randy Moss in 1998. And Reggie Bush was the guy who was supposed to be Gale Sayers in 2006, but it never quite panned out. But but really, who would you say, other than Randy Moss, has had that kind of rookie season, take your breath away impact, take the league by storm as a rookie, as a rookie, not as a second-year guy. We've seen some second-year guys, especially at quarterback recently. Yeah. But who's the rookie that really has captured the imagination the way that Gail Sayers did back in 1965. What did Barry Sanders do in his rookie year? I I, I don't know That's the answer question. to that. I know he was pr- pretty out. special early, and you at least saw some highlights there early. I was covering the Bucks back then, and they were the same division uh, with Barry Sanders, and so I got to see him twice a year, and he was pretty special from from the start. But I don't know what he did his rookie year. Um, but, but he would probably be the one that would come to mind, but you're right. Randy Moss comes quickly to mind. Other than that, there's not a whole lot of, of players that just stepped up and stood out as rookies. Did you Barry Sanders it? had 1,470 rushing yards, 5.3 yards per attempt and 14 rushing touchdowns as a rookie. Adrian Peterson in 2007 also had a pretty big impact as a rookie. I think that was the year he set the single game rushing record as a rookie. So uh, that that's that's but but you know that I remember with Moss, I remember thinking this guy's going to have six touchdowns in a game at some point as a receiver. 
he's going to have six touchdowns yeah. in a game. And and he never did. And I see the numbers that Gale Sayers generated in that game against the 49ers, December 12, 1965. 61-20 was the final score. He had four rushing touchdowns, including a 50-yarder, an 80-yard catch and run for a touchdown, and an 85-yard punt return. And, you know, we've had a lot of consternation this week about the quality of the turf at MetLife Stadium. It looked like a pretty damn sloppy track that day <laughs> when the Bears and the 49ers got together, and it was sloppy for everyone but Gale Sayers. And that's always fun to watch too, Mike, those types of games, those mud games, snow games. We don't have enough of those now because you did have those bad fields back then and there was nothing they did about it. You just played on it regardless of how the, the field was. They just played on it. And we remember the Ice Bowl and all those games on those bad fields. And as a kid, that's what you wanted to go out and do. You want to go out and play touch football in the snow and the mud and everything else and come in and, and just be all gross and your mom would be mad because you had mud or snow all over you. I didn't have a lot of snow games, but you had more than I did. Oh, we had some great snow games. We had some mud games. There were multiple times where – as soon as the basement door opened, my mom was standing at the top of the steps because she had a feeling that that uh, pig pen on steroids was about to come through the door and there was going to be mud and crap everywhere. And it's just like peel off every layer and lay it on the floor. I'll let it dry out and then I'll deal with it later. And uh, there was nothing like that. I, playing in the snow was so much more fun than playing in the mud as long as you took precautions. And I don't know if you know, well, and, and I, there's people out there who may be able to experience this. We finally figured out how to do it so you don't get snow up up your jacket sleeve because that was that was the worst. You'd get an old pair of socks. You would cut a hole for the thumb. You'd cut the holes for the fingers. And you had the protection there of the layer that would keep the snow from going up because that was the worst. The snow going up the sleeves was the absolute worst. Once you had that taken care of, you could play football in the snow for hours. Uh, welcome, everybody, once again to Football Pod in America. Liam McHugh, Rodney Harrison, Tony Dungy, Mike Florio. Last week, Mike Tirico kicks this thing off from Wingfoot, the U.S. Open. This week, we downgrade a little bit. We're in my dining room with the <laughs> fake plants behind me. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I'll try to get better as the season goes on. You all look great. You all look fresh. Not everyone looks so fresh right now. We're going to be talking about four games. Our first game is Raiders-Pats and Bill Belichick at his press conference taking things to a different level here. He's gone with the tattered sweatshirt look for a long time. But right now, Rodney, I look at this and I wonder, is this a man who's crying out for help or is this a <laughs> warning to the rest of the league that Bill Belichick is coming and hell is coming with him? Liam, did you see how, how well Cam Newton played the other night? I mean, he was absolutely tremendous. So if I'm Josh McDaniels, if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm ecstatic because before all we thought was, okay, how many times can Cam sustain this? He can't run the ball 15 times a game. Now all of a sudden he throws for almost 400 yards. I think Bill Belichick is very, very pleased with what he saw with Cam Newton because now – they're no longer a one-dimensional offense. He knows he can pass. He knows that he can run. And I think this defense coach will, will get better. You can't expect them to be, get beat by four or five touchdowns deep in a deep part of the field. I think Coach Belichick's very excited where the team is going. Yeah, they had so many new parts on defense. You know that's going to be a work in progress, getting that front seven together. But Coach Belichick's a master at that. I think he was just getting ready for a new Subway commercial. That, that's what that outfit was all about. <laughs> He's fired up with Cam. They're going to be in good shape. <laughs> Eat fresh and dress stale yeah. would be the tagline <laughs> of the commercial. Pull the picture up again, though. Do you see that it says on the sweatshirt, established in 1960? I think the sweatshirt was made in 1960. I think that's what it should say. Good Lord. It's just unbelievable. And this is a guy who has – the privilege of six Super Bowl rings. When you have six, you can wear whatever you want. Whatever's the closest, whatever's the cleanest, just put it on and show up for your press conference. And talk to this press conference about trying to stop Darren Waller, the Raiders' tight end this weekend. They know that's a challenge. He had 12 catches against the Saints on Monday night. And then on top of that, he's concerned about the Raiders' defense. They don't quite yet have the pieces to run it the way that Paul Gunther wants to, but he's very leery of that system, and I think he's concerned that it could give them some fits on Sunday. Yeah, Rodney, John Gruden talked you about know, how he point, thinks... Would... Go ahead, go ahead, Coach. I was going to say what his biggest concern, I think, is Josh Jacobs in that running game. Jacobs ran hard. That's what that front seven's got to get ready for. 
Hey, Coach, I, I'm going to jump right in, too, because that's what I was thinking. Josh Jacobs, as much attention as Darren Waller is getting, Josh Jacobs, he's the key to this offense. He, he um, sets the physical tone. He brings it, and he's very difficult to tackle. We saw what that defense did last year against Derrick Henry. They wanted no part of him, and he's just a smaller version of Derrick Henry. Rodney, I am curious, though, about Darren Waller because you looked at the Saints, it looked like they had no answer for him. If you're the Pats, how do you go against Darren Waller? Well, you treat him like he's a gunner and you double-team him, and that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to have probably Kyle Duggar or Adrian Phillips, one of their safeties, because they like to play a lot of five or six defensive backs, but they'll double-team him in those critical moments, third down and short. You know, a, a great player like that, as a coach, you understand that, okay, they're going to make their plays, but when he gets down to the red zone or a close third down and short situation, then you'll see that guy get double-teamed. Mike, I'm curious at this point, how much differently are we viewing the Khalil Mack trade when you look at what the Raiders are doing right now? Well, it's not clear what they're doing right now because we don't know how good the Saints are. I know we're going to talk about them coming up. They're 2-0, which is good. They're moving in the right direction, which is fine. The extra first-round picks have come in handy, and they're trying to develop a pass rush. They're trying to will their way into a pass rush. If they had Khalil Mack, their pass rush necessarily would be better. But, you know, this is a team that's kind of stripped down a bit and is trying to rebuild using those first-round picks to build a nucleus that will work into the future, and it's a work in progress. And, it, look, it's better than being 0-2, but we still don't know what it means to be 2-0 and only a couple of games into the season. We'll Wait. find out if the Raiders are here to stay this weekend. Mike, why are you so grumpy when it comes to the Raiders? This is a rebuild. This is I, – I, I would actually give – um, you know, Mike Mayock and John Gruden, a lot of credit. I mean, for them to be this competitive, this fast with the athletes that they have, you know, they have one of the top two or three tight ends in all of football. They have one of the top backs. You even, he's even getting um, production from Nelson Aguilar. Like, he's doing a heck of a job, and they're re rebuilding a lot faster than what I, I think a lot of people thought. Just see what they do against the Patriots. If they beat the Patriots, I'll be a believer. Oh, my goodness. You're so miserable. They're not going to beat the Patriots, so you don't have to believe. <laughs> I think that's a good final word right there. Tony Dungy <laughs> says they're not going to beat the Pats. Move on. You don't have to worry about it. So let's move on to our next game. Let's talk about the Cowboys and the Seahawks, because I think you can look at the Cowboys right now and say this is a team that's very lucky to be 1-1. One and one. The Seahawks impressive in going 2-0. and oh. Dallas, of course, coming off that incredible comeback against the Falcons. There's a whole new collapse to add to the record for the Falcons here. Uh, it was 29-10. They win this game 40-39. to uh, Tony, I'll start with you. At this point, under Mike McCarthy, what do you make of this year's version of the Cowboys? Well, they're, they're going to be very, very tough to handle on offense, and we know that, and they spent a lot of money on offense. My question is, are they going to be able to stop anybody? And that's what I want to see in this game. Both defenses have gotten riddled in the first two games, but their offenses have made up for it. So who's going to come out and make some tackles? Who's going to get some pressure on the quarterback? Uh, we'll see. But Dallas looks great on offense. Very suspect on defense right now. Yeah, big question on the defensive side of the ball, and it comes down to pass rush. You go out and you get Everson Griffin, you have Demarcus Lawrence, and those guys have to help that young secondary. And that secondary, they're going to be up against a lot of deep plays. We just talked about how big of a play Seattle's offense is against the Patriots, let alone looking at on, on tape, looking at the Dallas Cowboys secondary. So if I'm Russell Wilson, I'm looking to have a big day. But the way you negate a lot of those big plays is you got to get after the quarterback, Mike Florio. Well, and as Coach Dungy said when we were talking about week two on Sunday night, coaching matters. And look at what Mike McCarthy has done the past couple of weeks. The questionable decision to go for it on fourth and three, down three points, throwing the ball short of the sticks. And then last week, two fake punts, one on his own 29, which made no sense. Another one later in the game, which made no sense. Going for two down nine points, which still makes no sense. I don't care what the analytics people say. It makes no sense because they kept the Falcons up by two scores. Although they ultimately won the game, so maybe it was some sort of elaborate Jedi mind trick on the Falcons, and it worked. But McCarthy is already being criticized loudly by Cowboys fans, even though they won that game. They feel like they won the game, they won the game in spite of him. Florio, I got a question for you. Do you think being just, or maybe it's to Coach Dungy, Coach, being that it's such a high-profile job, being a Dallas Cowboys 
um, coach, does that influence the way they call a game or the way they challenge things and the way they conduct their business, you, you believe? I don't think so, but I think you just are under more scrutiny. You make those decisions in Green Bay and, you know, the Packer fans care, but you make those decisions in Dallas, everybody in the country is on it. So I, I think it's just really, he's going to be under a lot of scrutiny this year. And, and, and I look at Dak. Dak should be able to come out off to the offense, you know, right up to the line of scrimmage and look at the defense, and you know exactly where Jamal Adams is going to be. And if you ever see him in the secondary, I think it's safe to say you go after Jamal Adams. That's his weakness is in coverage and a deep part of the field. If he's close to the line, you have to treat him like he's a linebacker, and you have to make sure you block him. He's, he's their best pass rusher. He's the guy that – they're looking to help out with those pass rushes because they don't have a, a, a great pass rush. Hey, I got one more point. I think the worst thing that could have happened to the Cowboys was Dak Prescott being named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. <laughs> What's Russell Wilson got to do to get anyone to notice what he's accomplishing? He's going to be even more upset going into this game. No MVP votes. Now Dak gets that award. Uh, one other player I do want to hit, Rodney, I, I'm curious because we talked about Darren Waller. You look at DK Metcalf right now. Is there a way to play defense against him? Because we saw other than putting two men on him. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're asking me. I mean, a very difficult question because, I mean, he's big. He's physical. He embraces the challenge. And he said when uh, I think it was who was interviewing him, was it Zach Collins, Jack Collinsworth? Yeah. He said nobody yeah. can stop us. We feel like nobody can stop us. And that's the type of confidence that they have as a team. But that's the confidence that he has as an individual. You look at how big and how physical and and after every single play, whether he was getting the ball or he wasn't getting the ball, he was taking Stephon Gilmore, trying to throw him out the club to the sideline. And that's just the nature of the way he plays. But no, no one can stop him one-on-one. You see, he's a physical freak. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy's absolutely massive. And then you go out there and you put his 40 time up against anyone in the league, and no one really that big should be able to run that fast. But I thought when he, <laughs> when he shrugged off, when he shrugged off Stephon Gilmore and caught that ball, and it was like no one was grabbing his arm, and he waltzed right into the end zone. Uh, I don't know. It, it was a message and uh, a pretty Thank strong you. one. But it sounds like all of you are saying we're going to get a lot of points here. Yes. Hey, Coach, yes. and remember yeah. I said, and it, it sounded crazy when I said that, um, you know, Chris Carson was going to score a touchdown, but that's what they're doing. They're incorporating all these running backs, even as physical as he runs. And he's not even known as a pass-receiving um, running back. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make everybody a part of this offense. That's why they're becoming a lot more explosive. All right, let's move on to our next game. Uh, this is, of course, our game, Sunday Night Football. We have the Packers and the Saints. We touched on the Saints earlier. Uh, Packers 2-0, Saints 1-1. Let's start with the Packers right now because this is a team that, uh, I mean, offensively, 85 points, over 1,000 yards in their first two games. Mike, I want to start with you. You know, I'm kind of curious. This felt like uh, – you know, one of those old bad TV shows where like a couple gets together and they're not sure it's going to work. And someone says, you'll learn to love them. And now we have Rogers and LaFleur that never works out on TV, but it look, it feels like it's working out here. Year two Rogers and LaFleur and they're taking things to another level. Well, that's what Aaron Jones, the Packers running back who had 236 yards from scrimmage told me after the game that they're better this year. They're definitely better this year than last year because everyone knows the offense Aaron Rodgers is more focused because he knows the offense. He's not worried about the fact that they drafted a quarterback, although how much better would they be if they had hit on a good receiver late in round one on top of the guys they already have. But they've won these two games easily. Now, we don't know how good the Vikings and the Lions are going to be. It could be they're two of the worst teams in the conference. But still, the offense really is clicking, and the Packers have a ton of confidence. And they're going in to play a Saints team right now that has to be wondering where they fit, how they stack up after what happened to them in Las Vegas. Yeah, and I look at the defensive side of the ball, and this is a kind. This is not a great defense. They have guys that can make plays, and they play well together. But it's kind of that bend but don't break defense. In the last two weeks, they've been able to score. Whether it's a, a safety interception, pick six, they've done a tremendous job, Coach. You know, they remind me, Rodney, of, of my teams in Indianapolis. The defense can make plays. They've got some pass rushers. They've got some secondary guys who can make plays on the ball. So when you're ahead, that's great. And Aaron Rodgers is putting them ahead. 
Now, on the other side, New Orleans, they've set such a high bar with Drew Brees. He hasn't been sharp. They threw for 300 yards and ran for all, over 100, and everybody says it was a bad game, yeah. and, and it was. They weren't sharp, so they're going to have to be much better to deal with this uh, Green Bay offense. And Liam, hey, guys, I got a question. I, I, got a, I got a quick question. Quick question. Go ahead. How much did Michael Thomas not being in the game on Monday exactly. night affect the Saints? Huge. Oh, I mean, huge, you take away huge. 100. You take away 150 catches, 149 catches, of, and I don't know what percentage that is of the offense, but you just see the comfort level. And when I spoke with Drew Brees two weeks ago, he said Troy Quan Smith is a guy that they they're really looking to get more involved and really waiting to, to step up. He's a smart kid. He works extremely hard. The last couple of years, he's been injured. They're just waiting for him to take that next step. But also, Emmanuel Sanders. He's still trying to find that connection with Emmanuel Sanders. But yeah. I mean, yeah, huge when you take away 149 catches. And also, how about the third downs? When it's third down and four, you put Michael Thomas in the slot. Those were automatic first downs that Drew Brees knew. Hey, I'm going to this guy. It doesn't matter if they double cover him. I can stick the ball in that big body. And uh, it's just it's not the same without him. But the one thing that, that I do see, Coach, is I see Alvin Kamara. And last year, we were kind of looking for that explosion and that athleticism, and he just seemed like he was hurt. And Alvin's a very, very tough kid. You know, he's not going to say that he's hurt. And he wasn't out there 100%. This year, you see the explosion. You see him excited, getting to the end zone, catching balls out of the backfield, blocking and blitzing. I mean, he's doing it all. Yeah, and Mike, to your point, I mean, you'd have to say Michael Thomas, the most explosive player on the team. And also the security blanket. I mean, often on the team, it's not the same guy. He is the same guy. He, he is who Drew Brees is going to look for. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and still, uh, to Tony's point, you put up over 300 yards passing. You put up over 100 yards rushing. It just seems like it's a little out of sync at this point. Hey, Coach, I got a question for you, Coach. I look at a guy like Taysom Hill with, um, you know, just with everything he brings, all his physicality and, like, I look at him and I say, this offense is more dangerous when he's on the field. Why does Sean Payton take him off the field? He's fast. He's big. He's athletic. No one wants to tackle him. Why would you take one of your best weapons and just hide him? Like, play him. You can't tell me the five or six skills guys that you have that they're better than Taysom Hill. I really think that Sean Payton is doing the Saints a a disservice when you're not playing Taysom Hill. He is that much of a factor, at least in my eyes. I agree with you, especially with Thomas being out. I thought he was the guy they needed on Monday night. They didn't use enough. And let me say this. His participation has dropped dramatically this year. His special teams play way down his offensive snaps dramatically down he had two rushes for eight yards the other night I feel like they're they're not fully putting him in bubble wrap but they're protecting him because he's now the number two quarterback so they have to be careful with him because if Drew Brees gets injured he's the guy and if it's not him it's Jameis Winston well but but they I think they're 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 consciously keep they paid Taysom Hill all that money, but they're consciously reducing his participation to keep him healthy in the event they need him at quarterback, I think. And, and, and Mike Florio, I would even say this. Give him some reps at quarterback because, you know, if you played against Drew Brees, you see Drew, yeah, he's efficient, he's accurate, he, you know, he makes the right decisions. But at the same time, when Taysom Hill is in there playing quarterback, as a defense, you're like, oh, my goodness, I have to, we have to really tackle this guy. Like, he gets your attention, and he can throw the ball 60, 65 yards down the field. I think they need to give him just more reps at the quarterback position as well. It would be cool to see it in this game. It'd be fun to watch, especially in a game where you would think, given what the Packers have done over the first two weeks, they're going to have to score some points to stay in this game. But uh, that is our Sunday night game. It's Packers at Saints. And we'll get you going with football night in America. And, guys, thanks so much for doing this. I look forward to seeing you guys on Sunday night. All right. Thanks, sir. Thank you. I feel good. Um, Borderline great. (laughs) Um, and, And I'd say, you know, again, you know, my job is to um, move the football, get first downs, possess the ball, score points, right? And so however we can do that, we're going to do it. Um, uh, you know, one of the statistics that was thrown out after the game was, you know, the yards per attempt or something like that. I mean, 
there, there, is, there are many statistics I do not pay one bit of attention to, and that would be one of them. Um, at the end of the day, I am focused on uh, putting us in a position to succeed, you know, making great decisions, both in the run game and the pass game, you know, whatever uh, is predicated on, you know, my decision, my ability to get us into the best play, um, and uh, our ability to, you know, take care of the football and go and score points, put us in the best position to win, play complimentary ball with our defense and, and special teams as well. Um, so those are the things I'm focused on, and I don't care how we do it. I honestly don't. Um, I just want to win football games. Okay, so I need to say one thing before we get to the questions. Football players, football coaches will tell you they don't listen to any of the outside noise. Drew Brees just admitted that they do. Yes. Talking about statistics getting thrown around after the game. Drew, you, you shouldn't be paying attention to any of that noise. You shouldn't be bothering yourself with what people are saying that tells me that there is a level of sensitivity there we know that and i'll also say this yards per attempt is one of the key metrics that teams look at kevin gilbride long-term nfl offensive coordinator former nfl head coach of the then san diego chargers he told us when he was working on the old pft show several years ago because we asked him what what stats do do coaches really Take seriously, and he said, yards per attempt. That shows that you're moving the ball. That if you're seven, eight, nine yards per attempt, you're moving the ball down the field. And of course, in recent years, the great offenses are more like eight, nine, 10 yards per attempt. So that leads to the first question from at Colton Mason 86. If Drew Brees continues to show he's not what he once was, what week, if any, would they make a change and who would get the start? I don't know how long Sean Payton can keep his Steve Young on the bench. Shereen, it seems premature to have the conversation. I don't know, though. I mean, there are people who are having the conversation. There are people who are asking the questions. Have Have you developed any feel, any gut sense as to whether or not we could actually see Drew Brees get yanked off the field before he's ready to retire? You know, I think Sean Payton's brilliant. I got to know him when he was in Dallas as the offensive coordinator under Bill Parcells, and he always seems to find a way to do things I don't want to say the right way, but, you know, you have to do this gracefully. You can't just go sit. It was almost like the Eli situation, but but even more so because Drew Brees is the all-time leading passer in so many categories, and you can't just go say, we're going to sit you down, Drew Brees. I mean, it just can't be done like that. But Sean Payton has managed to use multiple quarterbacks over the last few years, and he is one of the most creative offensive geniuses in the game. I just think he's going to find some way when they need to throw the ball down the field. It is no secret. I don't care what Drew Brees says. It is no secret he cannot throw the ball down the field. We've seen it over the last couple of years. We've talked about it a lot. His longest uh pass the other night was 29 yards and it was a catch and run by Traquan Smith. He has 4.82 air yards after two games. That is the lowest of any quarterback since Brett Favre in 2009. He is not getting the ball down the field. They have to find some way to do that. I know Michael Thomas wasn't there. I know that hurt that offense, but he can't get the ball down the field. It's just a fact. There was a throw against the Buccaneers, and it was only one, but it shows he's got the capacity. He did get the ball down the field. I think it was like 40 yards in the air. So, you know, every once in a while he can uncork one. The question is, can he do it reliably? Can he do it consistently? Can he have accuracy if he's muscling it as far as he possibly can? And for the most part, that offense is premised on quick timing, short passes, swing passes, screen passes, crossers that aren't going to be in the air for very long and he runs that offense very effectively the problem the other night was when it was 17 to 7 it just felt like the saints were ready to put the hammer down and the next thing you know it was going to be 31 to 7 like we've seen so many times in the past where we turn off the game at halftime or only barely pay attention to it because it's another example of a of a saints team that just suffocates the opponent because the offensive efficiency is too relentless for the other team's offense to keep up with. Now, in this case, the Saints' defense didn't hold up its end of the bargain, but the offense lost its footing and never could really get back to the point where they were moving the ball efficiently and scoring points. They had plenty of yards, but they couldn't cash in, and that's what was so vexing. And I Look, 
I see the Saints are a three-point favorite on Sunday night. And frankly, and again, not to tip too many of my picks for this week, because in the event that Sims finds out about this, he may factor it into his picks for tomorrow. I'm surprised the Saints are three-point favorites. When you look at what the Packers have done so far this year, and when you look at what the Saints have done or have not done so far this year, and I think there's a chance it could get, I don't want to say ugly on Sunday night, but there's a chance it could be lopsided. And there's a chance that the narrative will be more prevalent come Monday when we see on the same field, on the same night, Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. And Aaron Rodgers is still going to be doing Aaron Rodgers things. And Drew Brees' limitations are going to be put on display for everyone. And the question is, what would Sean Payton ever do about it? You know, there was the report that came out on the first day of the season, one of the many Sunday splash reports, Shireen, suggesting that the Saints had interest in Tom Brady even after Drew Brees said he was coming back. And you just wonder at what level there's something percolating and how Sean Payton would handle it. I don't think Sean Payton would ever bench Drew Brees. I think Sean Payton would go to Drew Brees and convince him he has an injury, right, to help him save some face so he wouldn't be yanked off the field for Taysom Hill. But, you know, if it goes poorly on Sunday night and then they stumble into their bye week, they've got Lions in Detroit and the Chargers at home on a Monday night before they go into their bye I think that that if they don't turn around their offense from what we saw Monday night and they ha- and they struggle offensively the next three games, we may find out during the bye week that there's some sort of injury to Drew Brees and the Taysom Hill's getting the start on the other end. Can you see them, though, Mike, playing multiple quarterbacks, whether it's a combination of the three quarterbacks or Taysom Hill takes more snaps and throws more? I mean, you cited one deep throw in two weeks. That's not enough in in two games. Can you see them playing multiple quarterbacks more than what they've done so far? Because they have kept Taysom Hill in bubble wrap so far. Well, I remember when we had Drew Brees with us at the Super Bowl and we talked about the possibility of Hill returning and getting more of a workload because we had seen him do so many special things in the playoff loss to the Vikings. And Drew Brees said, hey, I'm fine with it. However many plays that now it's one thing to say it in January. It's another thing to be okay with it come September. And we've seen Taysom Hill used less frequently. And the thing is, you know, look, these guys are paying attention. Everything that's said publicly about Drew Brees not having the deep ball. Every time they let Taysom Hill throw a deep ball, that is the proverbial needle in the lung to Drew Brees. He doesn't want to see that. He doesn't want to be disrespected. So I, I think that, that that's part of it. And and he's earned that respect, right? I don't fault him for being potentially prickly about the idea that he's being nudged off of the field. Uh, you know, because he could say to the Saints, why didn't you just tell me? In the offseason, you didn't want me. Why didn't you just tell me it was over then uh, instead of bringing me back and not letting me be the quarterback of the team? So I, I think it's a delicate situation. You're right, though. I think Sean Payton will handle it the right way. But if this offense doesn't turn it around, they're going to have some decisions to make if they want to truly be a contender this season, Shereen. Yeah, no question about it, Mike. And and that offense needs to play better. They had that interception right before halftime that that really killed them, and they just couldn't respond in the second half. So as great as Drew Brees says he's he feels, he needs to play great this week for the for the Saints to have a chance and to turn this thing around and be the team that we all thought they could be because we we picked them as the first or second best team in the NFC going into the year. I think everybody would have said that. At Maximum Overdrive, right now, who has the best chance of getting the first pick in the draft? Do you think that by the end of the season, that team will be in search of a quarterback, and are they capable of surrounding him with the necessary talent? Your thoughts, Shireen? It's so early, and there's so many contenders, but I think you have to go with the Jets at this point. 32nd in offense, 19th in defense. I wish the Jets and Giants played because I'd like to see that matchup for perhaps the number one overall pick. Now, you go back to to the Cardinals and what they did. They drafted Josh Rosen with the 10th overall pick, and then the next year they had the number one overall pick, and they said, forget that. We don't care. We're going to cut our losses. We're going to trade Josh Rosen for whatever we can get for him. We love Kyler Murray. He's our guy. We're going to draft him. And you could see the Jets doing a similar thing. Now, Sam Darnold's had more time. But I could very well see the Jets going, we have the number one pick. We have these multiple picks. We can build a really good team here. If if Sam Darnold doesn't develop as they think he will this year, I could very well see them going out and get Trevor Lawrence. Hey, you know what? I'm already looking at a team like the Vikings when they're on scholarship this year yeah. and everyone's got their financial security. Now they'd have to get 
rid of Kirk Cousins, and I wrote earlier today that but for maybe a trade to the 49ers, they're going to be stuck with a ton of money on the books for 2021 and 2022. But once a team falls out of contention, it pays off to be as bad as you can be because it gives you the highest possible draft position, and somebody's getting Trevor Lawrence, and it's going to be one of these bad teams. All right, one more question. Speaking of the Vikings, T-Lions 122. Why do our Vikings continue to be the Toby Flenderson of NFL teams? I don't think they're the Toby Flenderson. I, I, I had a chance to consider this. I think they're the Jim Halpert. Here's why. Because Jim Halpert is a screw-off. He doesn't get his work done. He's always looking into side, but he always does just enough to not get fired. And, and, you know, so he follows every good day with a bad day. He makes his big sale, and then he goes and he does something he shouldn't do. And then he comes back and he makes a sale. And that's what the Vikings are. They ping pong between good year and bad year. So they've got this, this sweet spot they've found where they've got job security for everyone, but they're never going to be as good as they can be. 29th in total offense, 29th in total defense. I don't know if there's been a worse team in the NFL. I guess you look at the teams that they've played. But they have not been good and certainly are a contender for that number one overall pick right now. I say go for it. Once you know you're out, go for it. Get Trevor Lawrence. You have Thank your it. quarterback situation taken care of for the next 15 years. And uh, embrace being bad because it can lead potentially to good things. All right, that's it. Boy, this show flies by. We'll be back tomorrow with the Mega Picks podcast, PFTPM, Chris Sims Unbutton. And uh, Shireen, we'll see you again on Friday as we get everyone ready for the third week. We're already up to the third week of the 2020 NFL season. Everybody have a great day. See you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.